Well, this morning as we look at the scriptures together, we are reminded that uh, it's been a while since we've been in the New Testament, specifically in, in John. It's been the, the length of the summer, really. I mean, so it hasn't been that long, but it feels like it's been a while, right? I mean, the summer's been a nice break, and as much as we say the summer's gone by quickly, uh, as we think about the last time we were in the book of John, it does feel like it's been a little while. Maybe it's just me. Either way, uh, I'm excited that we're back in the New Testament, that we're back in, in the Gospel of John, because it, it, it's, a, it's a book that actually tells the story, tells the life of Jesus, and it's the life of Jesus which we've heard whispers of throughout the Psalms this past summer, right? Well, many of the Psalms point to Jesus, the fulfillment of, uh, of God's word through and in the life of Jesus, and so it's that life that we turn to in the Gospel of John. Now, the Gospel of John has been known to be referred to as the Gospel of Belief. Why? Because so much of the Gospel of John is shaped around this idea of believing in Jesus, of belief. That, 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 we, that we, we come to this book really seeking to understand what that means, what it looks like to believe. Now, John, the disciple of Jesus, the same one who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the same one who was exiled to the island of Patmos where he was given a vision of the future, the end times, and uh, wrote that down in the book of Revelation. This very same John has recorded uh, a picture of the life of Jesus in a, a shape of belief that we, that we really seek to understand here in John's gospel. And so believing in Jesus, as John teaches us, is not the same idea as believing in a truth. It's not the same thing as believing that the sky is blue or that the New England Patriots are the absolute best team in the NFL, right? Right? Amen. It's, <laughs> no, not the Giants, the Patriots. So, so that's, that's the reality. Like, we, we, we kind of accept these things as truth. It's almost like this two-dimensional piece of paper. Like, okay, this is what it means to believe. It's a fact. It's true. Great. Now, the, the reality of Jesus is factual, right? I do believe that it's a, that it's a factual truth that we can see on two-dimensional. But, but the idea of believing in Jesus, oh, that's not two-dimensional, that, that's three-dimensional. That's multi-dimensional. That's, that's like a diamond, looking at the many facets, the different sides of a diamond. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. To understand we're not just accepting a fact that's true and moving on with our lives, but to understand that, that, that as we believe in Jesus, we're, there, there's a fullness of truth that we interact with, that we have a relationship with, that, that, that as we seek to know and understand, it transforms our life. We grow as we fall in love with this truth of Jesus Christ, as we put our trust in him, as we seek to understand the, the many facets of his life. And so as we turn to John... What's so important to him that we understand is that he, he writes these things down because he wants us to understand the, the many facets of believing, and in so doing, have eternal life, to have life in Christ. John says in chapter 20, uh, in verses 30 and 31, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But, but these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. See, when we read the Gospel of John, John's asking us to pick up this diamond. He's saying, turn it around. Take a look at it. Now, don't just believe that there's a diamond there. Interact with it. Understand it from every angle. Seek to, to desire it, to, to make it your purpose, your desire, your, your priority. John's inviting us to, to pick up this gospel, the, the life of Jesus, and understand who he is. And to not just say, okay, yeah, that's true, and move on with my life, but make this belief our lives, right? And so 
It's this, this idea of, uh, of learning what it means to believe in Jesus that, that John introduces us to, and certainly here in chapter 3. You remember the start of chapter 3, we, we looked at the very end of, or the beginning of the summer, where Jesus is meeting with a, a Jewish ruler named Nicodemus, who comes to him in the night and wants to understand more about who Jesus is. He recognizes that there's something special about Jesus, and that, that Jesus brings a gift, that there's something that comes with Jesus. And that gift, he comes to learn, is life. But he, he also learns that to embrace that life, you must be born again, which blows his mind. Like, he, he tries to understand, what is it, how, how can I be born again? I don't get it, right? And Jesus teaches them that it's this idea of being born from above, the, being born of God, to be born of the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's something that really blows your mind when you think, well, I can believe that Jesus is real, but, but you're asking me, to believe in Jesus, to let him make me new, to give me a new birth. And so we turn to John 3, and we're going to pick up in verse 16 and continue that story as John kind of records some thoughts after Jesus has met with Nicodemus. Let me read for us John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. If you want, you can pick up your Bibles in the pew in front of you, or you'll read it on the screen above. And just listen as I read along for us in John chapter 3. John records this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn this world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Again, we, uh, we come to this passage thankful to God, that God would reveal himself to us, that he would say, hey, I want to be a God who's known by my people. And so he gives us this, this recording, not just this moment in history, but a moment where we can actually get to know God a little bit. See, I think there's a lot of confusion in our world as to who God is, and, 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 and not just who God is, but why God does the things he does. I Probably one of the biggest questions that you hear, or that I, I oftentimes hear uh, in these situations, is what, where does evil come from? If God's such a loving God, how can there be such evil that, that is present in this world? More specifically, actually, this question is rarely asked separate from personal emotions, personal investment in a situation. Because they, they, they often will say, if God's so loving, why would he allow my, my sibling, my, my parent, my loved one to get sick like this? If God's so loving, why would he allow me to lose my job at such an important time in my life, in my family's life, right? There's a sense that, that, that the evil that happens in the world is, is where we, we, we give voice to the emotion within us to say, why is that happening if God is such a loving God? Now, see, the problem, I think, when we ask this question is not so much that we're asking about evil's existence. It's that I think we have the wrong starting point, Right? I think that we're starting in the wrong place. Last week we said that, that good theology, the best theology, begins and ends with God himself. And that's true even as we look at this passage. Before even considering evil's existence, we need to ask, who is God, right? And, and, and so as John invites us to explore uh, this idea of believing, 
He asks us to start with God himself, to come to know who is God. Start with God. Don't start with the evil you see in the world. Don't start with the problems that are going on around us. Start with God. For God so loved the world. See, I, I think that, 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 that we start by looking at a God who is love, right? And he loves the world not because the world is particularly lovely, but because he is a God of love. That's who he is. He is love. 1 John 4, 16 says, So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in that love abides in God and God abides in him. What we need to start with is understanding the presupposition that God is love, right? That his character, it's not something he does, or I should say the actions that are loving that flow out of God flow from the depth of his character, which, which is love. And so for God so loved the, wor- the world that he sends his only son. God's motivation in loving us is not because we're good or, or pretty or, or something worth loving, but because he is love. And so we become the objects of his love. And not only that, not only does he love us because that's who he is, but God goes on to, to, to help us understand that he wants us to know him as the God of love, right? For God so loved the world that, that he gave his only son. God takes initiative toward us, right? God, God leans in toward us. He says, I, I want them to know that I'm a God of love, but first I want them to know me, Right? I want them to, to come to know me and to know who I am. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He sent Jesus. He sent salvation. He sent himself into the world that we might know him. Right? God's mission is to send the, the son into the world to, to reveal, to glorify, to make known the father, to make known his character of love. A love that makes way for eternal life rather than this eternal separation and death that we see introduced into our world through the Garden of Eden. Think about this for a moment. From the beginning of scriptures, God has been revealing himself to creation. When God created, he spoke into creation. He didn't snap his fingers. He spoke. It's almost like this self-revelation of himself through his speaking voice, which creates this creation that we have a glimpse of who God is. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above him proclaims his handiwork. When God created in the garden, when he created back in Genesis, when we read of the account of creation, we're reading of of an account where God is revealing himself, making himself known so that we might know him, right? God wants us to know God and to know him as a God of love. But knowing God in creation, it's not really enough, right? We know as we look through Romans and other chapters of the Bible, the scriptures, that, that, that it's true that, that we can't know God and, and be in relationship with him just by looking at the creation around us. Why? Well, because of sin, right? Evil has, has crept into this world, distorted it, made us, caused a separation between us and God, so that when we see creation, we have a glimpse, we have an understanding that there's a higher creator, there's a higher power that, that put that there. It's glorious, it's amazing. You can't look at the stars at nighttime without wondering where they, they came from, right? But that wonder is not enough to, to draw you into a relationship with God in such a way that you are, that you are forgiven, that you are redeemed. And so God decided, you know what, if they're going to know me, 
the way I want them to know me, if they're going to know my character of love, then I need, to, I, need, I need to send myself, I need to send my son into the world that they might know me and know me personally. See, God, God wants to know you personally. Uh, do you think about that? When you think about God, do you, do you consider that God wants to know you personally? Not you as a member of, of a community or a member of his creation, but do you believe that God wants to know you? That there's something about you that, that God knows and loves and wants to know more of and, and wants you to be in that relationship where you know him as well? I think sometimes when we think about God, we have different concepts of who God is. We have different understandings of, of who God is. We, we may not admit this or th- say this out loud, but practically speaking, I, I think sometimes we live as if God is sitting up in, uh, on his throne, uh, that, that he's looking down on us, that, that he's waiting for us to mess up so he can zap our lives. That, that, he, that he can punish us or, 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 or acknowledge, say, say something like, oh, see, I told you, Dan, I knew you were going to do that. I knew you were going to mess up. I knew you couldn't, couldn't be obedient. Do, do we have that picture of God in our lives where he's this disciplinarian that, that, that is waiting for us to mess up? Or, or, or better yet, sometimes we do this too. We, we, we have this view of God, right, that, that says that, that, that we're, we're given rewards for our good behavior. That, that he blesses us only when we do good things. That, that he waits for us to show our obedience to him before he shows his love to us. My family recently, we got a puppy a week and a half ago, almost, or it feels like, feels like a lot longer than that. I can't, it's like a newborn baby. I can't keep track of time right now. But uh, the reality is that we're trying to teach him to go to the bathroom outside. And so we, we offer him a treat, but only when he obeys, right? Is this our concept of God? Do you understand God to be a God that, that, that only blesses us, that only reaches out to us when we do a good thing? Some of us do. I, I admit it. Sometimes I think, I, I don't want to say, I, I wouldn't say it as a pastor, but sometimes I think if I slow down and check my behaviors, if I check my, my attitude, I think maybe sometimes, practically speaking, I do treat God as if he's not going to bless me unless I do something good, right? Or do you have a picture of God where God is near and present, that, that he wants to be involved in your life, that, that he, wants, he actually wants you to know him, to understand him as the God of love, that, that, that he wants to, he does know us, but he wants to be in that relationship of knowledge, not factual knowledge, but relational knowledge, right? Do you have that, that picture uh, of God in your mind? See, if you, if you have a picture of God in your mind where he's more like training us like we might train a puppy, well, then I, I would encourage you to, to, to lean into what John's saying here in John chapter 3. To, to let the words of John chapter 3 correct your perspective on, on who God is. See, God, God wants to know us. Or God wants us to know him, I should say. He wants us to know him and to know him personally. To understand that, that, that he is the very definition of love. And this is why. This is why he sends his son into the world. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. See, we come to know God personally, and we come to know him intimately through Jesus. But then look at verse 17 of John chapter 3. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, I think it's important for us to understand that that Jesus is not off on a, a, a tattling mission. 
He's not out seeking the world for people making mistakes and screwing up and sinning to say, oh, look, look, Father, look, he made a mistake. He's not out to tattle on us for our sin. He's not out to, to point out our failures. Jesus is on a rescue mission. Jesus was sent into the world not to condemn us, but to save us. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus tells his disciples in the Gospel of Luke, where he says that he came to seek and to save the lost, right? He didn't come to to seek the lost to condemn them, to point out their shortcomings. He came to seek and to save the lost. Guess what? We're all lost, every one of us. Every one of us is lost. All of us are in need of rescue. And so the, the real difference this morning in the listeners to, to John's gospel, the difference between someone who believes in Jesus and someone who, who is yet to put their faith into Jesus is not guilt or innocence because we're all guilty, right? The difference is where we all begin, Listen again to verses 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that we might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not, or is con, sorry, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Keyword, already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Now, the, the word uh, uh, condemn in our passage comes from the Greek word krino, which, which, is, uh, which is a word that actually means judgment, right? It, it's, a, it's a word that, that says, um, it, it's a word that conveys the sense of determining, a determination, a judgment on something. Uh, but because in our passage, krino is used in opposition or in, in relation to saving, the salvation, being saved, we come to understand that, that crino represents more of a flavor of condemnation, of, of, of judgment, of being wrong, right? Uh, but Jesus didn't come to condemn us, to, to judge us uh, as being sinners because we're already sinners. Jesus came to judge us as being saved. See, this is his purpose, and, and he reiterates it in the fact that God so loved the world, Right? His purpose in coming was that he, he loved the world. Not, not that he was looking to, 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 to condemn the world, but to, to save it, to rescue it. God already knows that we messed up. God knows that we were guilty, that, that we've all fallen short of his glory, his, his standard of being excellent. And so he sends his son to, to save us. But then he also, the, John also says, whoever does not believe it, it is condemned already. See, I think uh, King David does a great job of showing us what this means. He, he says in Psalm 51, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. I was brought forth in sin. I was born into this world. I was already a sinner. I was already condemned. And in sin did my mother conceive me, David says. See, none of, our, none of our lives start from a neutral starting point. I know we like to think that. Uh, it feels better to think that. You know, when you have a newborn, you think, oh, man, it's precious, it's beautiful. Uh, you, you, you don't want to think that a newborn is born uh, in, a, in a world of sin, in a state of sin, right? But th- theologically speaking, we are born into sin, right? 
That, 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 that we're not, uh, there's no such thing as, as a, a Switzerland when it comes to our, our spiritual lives, right? Switzerland is sometimes known as that neutral country where it's not for or against either country. It's just right there in the middle. Or sometimes you, you kind of look at conflict relationally and you think, oh, that person's Switzerland. They're, they're kind of the mediator. They're, they're the, the, uh, the neutral person. That's not possible for us, spiritually speaking. We're not... We're not born in a neutral state of being. We're born into a world of sin, into a state of sin. We're born already condemned, which is, which is what our passage says, that, that, that whoever uh, does not believe is, is actually condemned already. We start from a place of, of unbelief, of disbelief, of not believing in Jesus. That's where we begin. That's where we start. None of us start from a, a neutral starting point. So in the New Testament... Paul talks about this. He says that we've all sinned and all fallen short of the glory of God. That, that, that this is a theology that's, that's consistent again across New Testament letters, Old Testament writings, the life of Jesus. We're already condemned. We, saw, we all start from this place of being guilty. And the only thing, the, the, only, the only thing that can change is simply entrusting ourselves into Jesus, to simply believe and trust ourselves into the life of Jesus. This is what it actually means when, when, when he says, for those who believe in Jesus, right? That, that we're actually putting our faith into Jesus. In, in John chapter th- uh, 3, verses 15 and 16, I'm sorry, 14 and 15, uh, we're told of a story back in the Old Testament where, where the, the people of Israel had disobeyed God. They'd sinned against God and they cry out to him for salvation. And God tells Moses to put a serpent, a bronze serpent on a cross and hold it up. And, and anyone who simply looks at the cross will be saved from the death and destruction, Right? And, and so here in John chapter 3, G, uh, it said of Jesus that, that the Son of Man, Jesus himself, let me just read it for us real quickly. It's not going to be on the screen, but Jesus is telling Nicodemus, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him, believes in him, will have eternal life. It's this idea that we simply look to Jesus it's not because of anything we've done. It's, it's, it's believing into the life of Jesus. It's the difference between a, a factual knowledge, this two-dimensional belief, and this three-dimensional facet of belief that we're turning over, that we're interacting with, that we're seeing it impact in various places of our lives. See, anyone is capable of believing in an idea. Anyone is capable of, of, of believing that the sky is blue. There's this amazing story in the Gospel of Luke where, where Jesus interacts with this man who's being controlled by demons. And, and as he approaches the man, the demons inside of him cry out in fear. And, and they, they cry out. And you know how they respond to Jesus? You know how they, how, how they, how they respond to, to him? He says, they call him Jesus, Son of the Most High God. Now, if it's possible for, for demons to believe in Jesus, to believe in this truth, how is that different than the belief that, that we're being asked of to put into Jesus, right? How, how are we going to look differently than these demons who also believe that Jesus is real, that, 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 that he is alive, that he is the son of the most high God? 
See, I think to believe into Jesus, as John articulates here in John chapter 3, is, is actually to, to surrender our lives, to just simply look at him, to look to him, to accept that's where our focus needs to be, to look toward Jesus, to entrust our lives to him as, as Lord of our lives and, and, and give ourselves over to his authority. Paul describes this in Romans chapter 10. Uh, he says this, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, this is not a salvation that we have to work for or arrive at. It's a salvation where we let go. It, it, it's, a, it's a salvation where we give up. We, we be still. Remember from last week, we be still. Just stop. Let him be God. Let him do the work of salvation. It's a gift that we, we simply receive. We need salvation, simply look at the cross. You need God to transform your life, simply look at Jesus. And trust your life into him. Now, I know you say, like, this is, this is much harder uh, to do. It's easy to say it's hard to do. The difficulty is just in letting go. The, the, the difficulty, the hardest part for us is the surrender. Why? Because sin wants to hold on, to take grasp of your life, to, to let you think that, that he can't really do what you need him to do. But all he asks is simply trust into Jesus. It's a gift, a gift that we receive completely unearned, completely unmerited, solely by grace. Now, I don't know about you, but, but receiving a free gift is kind of hard for me to wrap my head around. When someone gives you a gift, you kind of wonder, oh man, is this going to come back at me later on? Are, are they going to, you know, if, I had this friend in seminary, love him, but he and his wife were frustrated because they would invite people over to their house for dinner, but then they would complain that people weren't inviting them back after they had invited them over for dinner. It was a sense of, here's a gift, now reciprocate, you know, like this expectation that, that you're going to follow through or give back to them. But that's not a free gift, right? Have you ever heard the saying, nothing in life is free? It's a saying because people actually believe it to be true. Or maybe, you know, it's, it, it, so many people use it because they see it as being a real thing in this world. Nothing in this life is free. And yet that's not true. Because our, our salvation that Jesus offers us, this eternal life that, that Jesus offers us, is unearned, unmerited, a gift that we simply receive, that we simply look to the cross, look to Jesus hanging on the cross and realize that's our salvation. Simply look to the cross. I love how Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 2. He says this, he says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, again, that's saying exactly what we see in John chapter 3, God's motivation is love for us. So even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So what is that grace? He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us. Again, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. See, believing into Jesus is simply accepting a gift. It's not doing 
A, B, and C to receive the gift. You know, it's not one of those gifts that you get at Christmas. This, is, this actually feels like an unkind gift, but I don't know if you've ever gotten a gift card at Christmas, but they put it inside this like puzzle box. So you can't actually get into the gift, to the gift card until you've worked through the puzzle. This is not a gift that God is giving us, right? You don't need to figure out the puzzle before you can open it and take the gift card out. It's completely unearned. It's completely unmerited. It's solely by grace. See, God's mission is to share himself with the world. It's to make him known that we might know him, to know his character of love. And so he sends Jesus into the world to make the Father known, to make him visible. See, his love It's really for the whole world. He wants the whole world to know him. There there is not one human being, no matter how mean and nasty they are in this world, who God does not want to be in a relationship with. He wants them to simply trust Jesus. And yet we're told the whole world will not believe. The, The whole world will not entrust themselves into Jesus. So I know, as, as we said earlier, the difference between a, a believer and an unbeliever is not guilt or innocence because we're all guilty. See, I think the difference as we look to our passage is seen in how we relate to the light and, and seen in how we respond to the invitation to simply trust in Jesus. Look at verses 19 through 21 with me. John says this. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. See, the believer willingly embraces the light. The one who is able to simply entrust themselves into Jesus Christ is the one who's okay with the light because they recognize, they recognize that no matter what is seen in the light by God, he loves them. His love is unconditional. They trust that. They simply trust that it'll be okay when they, when they step into the light, when they allow Jesus into their lives that, that exposes those places of sin. They realize that when he wants to do that work in their life, it's not because they're bad, but because he loves them. And he wants to transform them and help them grow. But, but, but those who are not able to simply trust themselves to Jesus, those are those who... who, who who shy away from the darkness or from the light. They prefer staying in the darkness. They're, they're afraid of what will be thought of them, how they'll be seen, if they'll be loved, when the things that are hidden in darkness are brought out into the light. It's too hard to simply trust themselves to Jesus because they realize, they see the amount of work that they need to do in their own lives, that they need to make themselves better before they expose themselves to the light, before they expose themselves to God, before they surrender and simply trust that Jesus is enough. So the difference is not so much our our guilt or innocence. We're all guilty. The difference between one who has learned to to believe in Jesus and one who's not able to surrender, to to let go, and to entrust themselves into Jesus' hands is a fear of being loved. It's a fear of being exposed. We're told that 
the believer, the one who, who's not afraid of the light but, but gladly comes into the light, does so so that God's work in their life can be seen. That, that they know that they're loved by him and that he is doing a work to transform him. And, and so you know what happens? As we step into the light, as we embrace the truth of, of who we are and yet we're still fully known and fully loved by God, God is made visible in our lives as well, right? As we allow people to see our weakness and God's, God's strength to overcome that and to transform it, people see a gracious and loving God who does not evaluate them or, or, or judge them based on their obedience or disobedience, but purely because he loves them and is willing to transform their lives in Christ-likeness. So this morning, what is it that you believe about God? Do you believe that God's waiting for you to mess up so that, so that he can condemn you? So that he can zap your life or, or withhold the treats, the blessings in your life? Or do you believe that, that, that you're already guilty and condemned and as, a, as, as a, a defendant who stands before the judge? Do, do you even understand that fact? Do you, do you believe that, that, yeah, we're all really guilty and, and, and we are like a defendant standing before the judge before he's made his, his judgment and, and we're standing there guilty? Well, if, if this is how you view God this morning, would you do me a favor? Would you consider something for me? Would you, would you consider maybe what, what I believe the scriptures are teaching us this morning? God's posture toward you and towards me is not condemnation. It's not this eagerness to see you mess up so that he can zap you or, or, or withhold blessing or, or, or punish you for your disobedience. God's posture toward you is love. God's posture toward you is not just love but a desire to be known by you. God wants you to know him. God wants you to be in relationship with him. And so, so his posture towards you is one of grace, one of love. Would you consider that, that God's purpose in sending his son was to rescue you, was, was to save you from perishing? See, we're, we're all, we all start off on that path towards death and perishing and, and not lasting for eternity. Would you consider that God sent Jesus into this world so that that wouldn't be true of you and me? That, that, that we would have the, the gift of eternal life, not, not this eternal life that goes on forever, but a quality of life that never perishes, that, 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 that promises to, to be something that will never perish, but be, be kept safe for us in eternity with God, where we will dwell with him. Would you consider that God isn't asking you to do anything other than reach up? When the floodwaters rise in your life, would you consider that what it means to, to trust in Jesus, to simply entrust yourself into his life, to surrender to him, is simply to, to reach up and to allow him to rescue you so that you can enjoy the quality of life together with him beginning right now from the moment that you accept that gift. I believe this is true. I believe that this is what God means when, when he invites us to take refuge in him. 
I believe that this is what it means to entrust our lives to Jesus and, and to believe that there's no greater gift, there's no greater life for us to live than in Christ. See, God's not ashamed of you. He, he's not asking you to try harder for him so he can love you. He's simply asking you to believe that what he says about you is true. That you're loved and that you're worthy of the greatest gift he could offer, the one and only son of the most high God, to take our place, to take our place in punishment. Can, can you believe that this morning? Trinity, if we believe that this morning, then we will be a people that may look weak to the world around us, but we are strong in Christ because we have surrendered our lives into Jesus the one who is powerful enough to transform us, to save us, and to make himself known to the world in and through our lives. Can you believe that? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us so much that you would send your only son. I, I thank you for the gift of knowing that, that your love is, is for us, that you are not against us. Lord, that, that, that your love for us is so great that, that, that you would desire uh, to, for us to know you. You know us already, Lord. You know that we are already condemned, that, that in sin have we been conceived, that we are not neutral. And yet somehow you love us still. I shouldn't say that as a question, Lord. You love us still because that's who you are. Lord, this morning I pray that, that you would break down any walls in our hearts and minds. Any of those places that are, that are hindering us from simply looking to the cross, simply entrusting our lives into Jesus. Break down those walls. Transform our lives. May we be a people who are not afraid of the light, but willingly and gladly go into the light so that the works of the Lord, the works of God, can be seen. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.